if you have a, a nine to five job, um, when you're done with that nine to five job, you go home, you break away. But as an athlete, we can't stop training. Our bodies will get out of, out of shape. We can't just, you know, go to a couple parties, blow off some steam when we got a competition coming up, you know, our entire lives from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, we're thinking about our job. Thursday. It is the Olympics. We are talking all things summer games. This is the Sports Extra Podcast. My name is Ali Baruby. My little co-host, Logan Reaver, stuck on the West Coast. So you are stuck with just me, plus producer Shiner and producer Tyler. And we are going to bring you an incredible interview with one of Central Pennsylvania's Olympians, Mitch Stahl. He competed with Team USA Men's Volleyball. Uh, they did fall in pool play and did not advance into the uh, quarterfinals or the medal rounds. Um, but it was his first Olympics, and he talked about what it was like to compete in Tokyo, um, the conversation about mental health right now, given uh, the struggles that Simone Biles has expressed and, and her pulling out of some competitions and what it's like to be a pro athlete, which I think very, very few of us will ever experience. So that was a really incredible part of that conversation. And plus, um, if you don't know who Mitch Stahl is and you watched any volleyball, you will recognize him because his beard is like a foot long. That's too long, but it's pretty long. So if you've seen the hashtag fear the beard, that is Mitch Stahl. And he joined us today. He is freshly home from Tokyo, I think he's been back for like 48 hours, so I'm not even really sure he's on U.S. East Coast time yet, but we're really grateful for the conversation, especially because the Olympics are still going on, and I think it's awesome to be able to talk to someone because they're home, because they're not allowed to stay in the country after their competitions end. Um, the Tokyo officials have asked that those athletes return home to their home countries to try and reduce the spread of COVID-19 within the village and uh, just the risks that are put on Japan right now based on playing in Olympics during uh, the pandemic. So I think it's kind of cool that he's home with his family, getting to watch some of the Olympics, getting to experience it from that side, um, while also having competed in them within the last couple of weeks. So before we get too far into the episode, be a friend. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Please rate us five stars and leave us a review. All right, back to the episode. Anyways, that conversation is coming up in the podcast. We have a lot to talk about. The Olympics are... Uh, amazing for storylines. Mitch talked about that. Every athlete has such an incredible journey to get to the Olympics. Um, some really cool things about people like trying sports randomly and becoming the best in the world at them. Um, and we're going to talk also on the podcast today about the best things we've seen so far in the Olympics. But we're going to start it off with our conversation with Chambersburg's Mitch Stahl. Welcome back from Tokyo, your very first Olympic experience. What was that experience like for you? And now being home, it's got to be a whirlwind. Yeah, um, an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, probably the most incredible two weeks of my life, you know, um, being in a place like the Olympics, being around all those people um, from different countries, from different sports, and everybody's just like a master at what they do. It's it's pretty incredible. You know, you, you see people walking around the village um, that, you know, like I said, are the best that they do. And then you get into the matches and it's the highest, it's the highest level matches you can get, you know. Um, I remember very vividly after the Brazil match, we lost in four, but it was a really close match the whole way around. And it was my first start as an Olympian. And um, we played at 11 a.m. that day. And I was still high by like seven o'clock that night. Like I just couldn't come down. And it was, it was just the best feeling in the world. And you know, that's, that's with no fans. That's with, 
um, this was a loss, you know, like I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in, you know, the metal rounds where you got a full, a full crowd and, you know, everything's really on the line. When you think about the pool you guys were in, the competition was so strong. Have you ever faced opponents like that where each one was just so incredible? It was the best of the best, like you said. Um, it had to be like such a grind for that U.S. team, for you guys to go in there and compete against, you know, Brazil, Argentina. I mean, this was a stacked pool. Yeah, um, I think it speaks to the pool, um, seeing that the final four are the four that made it out of our pool. You know, nobody from the other pool made it into the medal rounds. So, um, you know, we knew that going into the tournament. We knew that it was going to be really difficult to make it out of pool. Um, you know, we started off really hot beating France 3-0. Uh, we were playing great ball. I mean, the entire tournament, we played great ball. Um, minus our serving in moments, you know, that was that was the that was our struggle. You know, that was kind of our Achilles heel at the end. And, um, you know, you got to make more serves. You got to put more pressure on teams at that level, especially if you want to make it out of that pool. And, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't, um, you know, but, you know, my hat's off to, to the teams that that made it through. You know, that was a grind. You know, it was definitely the hardest week and a half of volleyball that I've ever played, um, you know, but it was also the most fun I've ever had playing. So um, I look forward to, to getting another crack at it here in a couple of years, you know, um, stay healthy and, you know, make that team and, you know, get back to it. How much do you think you grew as a player? I mean, obviously these kind of experiences can kind of shape your volleyball career. It's something you'll always be able to say I was an Olympian, but do you feel like you became a better player, even if it was only a week and a half? Um, Skills wise, no, I, I think that um, my skills are what they are, you know, going into the tournament. I don't think those are going to change, but I think having that experience um, and being able to draw on those experiences, um, you know, for me, it was a positive experience on the court this this uh, tournament and to know, you know, within myself that I'm capable of playing at that level. I think that, you know, those are things that, you know, any player needs um, in their career, you know, big matches, big tournaments to kind of draw on whenever you're in like a moment of weakness, you know, so in the future, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to having to having that to kind of fall back on, you know, um, knowing that I can, that I can compete with the best of the best out there, you know, um, so in that aspect, I think I grew, you know, I think that, you know, also just seeing the game, you know, at that level is everything's so detailed, you know, the smallest details matter. Um, and they're highlighted. Uh, you don't get you don't get by with anything. So moving forward in my career, um, there's a lot to grow on in that area and just really refining those details and making sure that I'm crossing every T and dotting every I moving forward. We were watching, you know, your social media and kind of the behind the scenes stuff that USA Volleyball was putting out there. And like, this group of 12 guys, you guys seemed so close, seemed like you had a great time. Like, was this a pretty special group to be a part of? I know you've known these guys for a while, but, you know, the 12 of you that got to make this trip, how special was that group? Incredible. Um, and I say that, like, no bull. Like, straight up, this group of guys, you know, we had two different suites in our suite. We got really close during the two weeks that we were there. Um, you know, like, you're forced to be with each other and – you know, we had we had a bunch of guys who were easygoing and um, just wanted to have fun. You know, it, it was it was definitely a serious thing, but it's really important to kind of break off from, you know, your sport while you're there. You're just going to stress yourself out beyond belief. And, um, you know, we we had some guys in, in the suite that, you know, just 
made everything fun, you know, and we just kind of grew off that. And then on the court, we're having a blast and, you know, everybody put their all into it, you know, and I think that's evident, you know, you watch our matches, you can see the, the collectiveness that we had, you know, and that's, that's what makes us hurt so badly um, is that we were peaking, you know, we really were like coming together as a team. We were coming together um, volleyball wise. We we're playing some of the best ball this summer, um, you know, and, and we got, we got unlucky in moments, you know, and that's that's part of it too. Um, you got to have a little bit of luck on your side. It wasn't on our side, and you know, but that doesn't take away from from the incredible experience that the twelve of us had. You know, that's something that's going to bond us for the rest of our lives and um, have a lot of memories to draw back on outside of the court. You know, and I think that that makes it really special. You know, and not having to to compete against those guys um, at that tournament, I think, is the reason why we were able to have that collectiveness you know the olympics is special for our team because you know it's it's not about beating the guy out in front of you you know it's it's about supporting the guys on the court if you come off the bench and go in there and give it everything you have and um you know the starters if they get subbed out they you know they don't take it personally they're like all right you know what reset here and keep going you know because it's not like oh i'm not going to make the next team or i'm not going to make a cut i mean we're there you know so so we all kind of knew that and that mindset shifts for the first time in, you know, a quad. So um, to have that, it was very special, you know. Yeah, I think that's kind of the interesting thing. You and I talked while you were trying to make the team and you were one of, you know, what was it, like 20 guys left. And we talked mm -hmm. about that competitiveness. Like you have to have that fire, but you don't want to be like such a jerk that no one wants to be around you because eventually you have to be teammates. Um, you became a starter halfway through, you know, pool play. How do people respond to that? Like, were they pumped for you? Was it kind of an awkward thing? How, how do you feel that transition went? Man, I was supported the entire time. You know, the coaching staff, the whole way through to the players against my direct competition, you know. Um, Dave Smith is, he's a three-time Olympian, and um, he's been a mentor to me over the past four or five years. He's given me a lot of pointers, you know. So um, I wouldn't be in this position if it weren't for him, you know, and a lot of the other guys on the team, you know, Various guys, you know, Matt Anderson, um, Garrett Mugatsatia, um, you know, Thomas Jeschke, like there's a, there's a lot of people that were on my side the whole way through this. Um, you know, honestly, everybody like I singled a few people out there, but literally everybody was was pumped for me to be on the court, um, you know, and, and that's a pretty cool feeling, you know, as a young guy um, getting a chance to go to the Olympics and getting on the court and knowing that your teammates want you to be there um, and truly knowing they want you to be there is, is pretty special, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's incredible to be part of that group. And um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no hard feelings at all. I know you've been in a bubble, obviously you've been focused on playing, but I'm sure you guys were hearing in the village about um, like Simone Biles and, and the mental health um, conversation that was going on around the Olympics. And you mentioned like being alone with these guys at this tournament it was nice to have a break to kind of, I don't want to say goof off, but just like have a breath, you know, within such intense competition. Have you followed this mental health discussion and, and how hard do you think it is, you are an Olympian, to have that pressure on your plate um, and know that you still have to compete at the highest level? What do you think about this conversation that we're now having? Yeah, um, I've been following the conversation. I'm part of the conversation. You know, I struggle with very similar things that, that she's described. Um, I think the people who are who are in sport, I think that um, I think that 
there's a lot that goes on that people don't really understand. Um, to put a little bit of perspective on it, if you have a, a nine to five job, um, when you're done with that nine to five job, you go home, you break away. But as an athlete, we can't stop training. Our bodies will get out of, out of shape. We can't just, you know, go to a couple parties, blow off some steam when we got a competition coming up, you know, our entire lives. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, we're thinking about our job. It doesn't ever stop. And then people expect you to perform. If I go out there and I don't perform, I get fired. But I got to perform in front of thousands of people. Simone Biles is performing in front of mil in front of the entire world. You know, and if she fails, she's really in the spotlight. And humans weren't designed to be watched by millions and millions of people. Like biologically, we're just not supposed to. You know, we I mean, this is a long conversation, but you know, we're we're meant to be in small social groups, tribes. And whenever we have exposure like that, I mean it's a blessing and a curse. You know, it opens up so many doors for us. And I'm not I'm not trying to shy away from the fact that we have a lot of <clears throat> perks in life, um, especially whenever you play at the highest level. I'm experiencing some of those perks now, you know, kind of on the tail end of this coming home. Um, you know, people want to shake your hand. They want to give you stuff. They want to, you know, it's awesome. But at the same time, you know, like people are expecting me to make the Paris team in 2024 now that's not a guarantee. We still have to qualify. I still have to be healthy. I still got to make that team. And, you know, if, if I don't, you know, there's probably going to be some guilt of letting people down, you know, and it's, and that mine is like such a small minute thing of what Simone Biles is going through, you know, and I personally don't know her, her story. I don't know what exactly is going on, but I do know that it's real. Like the mental health thing is real. And for people you know, who, who want to dismiss it and say that it's an excuse or a cop-out, I, I just think you're wrong. Um, like I said, I don't know exactly what her story is. I don't know what the details are, um, but that's not for me to judge, you know? I can only relate with my experiences, but, um, you know, I think that I think that people need to have a little bit more empathy and a little bit more um, understanding of, you know, what everybody else is going through. So everybody struggles with stuff. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that athletes are the only ones, like not at all. I mean, everybody goes through stuff, but um, it's definitely an interesting time with this conversation. And um, yeah. This is why I wanted to talk to you about it though, is because I feel like you come at things very intentionally, which I really respect about you. Like, I remember the first time we talked, you said like really walk a mile in people's shoes. Like, don't just say it, like really think about what someone else is going through. And I think you just had, and you've played internationally, you've been playing internationally, but you've had this kind of life altering Olympic experience, if I can put words in your mouth. But, um, you know, you've, you've seen all these countries now, you've been in the village with them, you competed against them. There is this bigger conversation going on about how much pressure is on athletes, how much attention is put on these things, how much people think they can tell you what to do now that there is social media. Thank you, Twitter, um, which I, I noticed you joined. Um, but I, I think it's, it's something that very, very, very few people will ever experience. And so I think it is important to have these conversations with people who know that pressure, who live that pressure every day, because like, I'll never walk in your shoes. I'm trying to learn about what it's like, but um, I don't know. Do you think it's as important? Like, should we be putting this big of an emphasis on it? 
Um, I don't know. That's not really for me to say, but um, I just thought of something when you were talking there. You're talking about pressure. Um, athletes thrive under pressure the majority of the time, you know, especially somebody like Simone Biles. Um, she's proven to thrive under pressure. But we're also humans and athletes that compete at the highest levels, they have this gear that they can get into that the majority of people on earth don't have. But having access to that gear is something that has a darker side. And that darker side can put you in a state of mind that is unfavorable. And when you're in that state of mind, even if you have an proven track record of performing under pressure, you're not capable of doing anything. I've been there. I know what it's like. It shuts you down. You're not, you're not yourself. You're really not yourself. And it's this black box. And if people haven't experienced it and they can't relate to it, I would advise to not judge people who have been there because it's gnarly. And it's not a place you want anyone to be in. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. So um, I do want to add that caveat to, to the previous conversation because, um, you know, I don't think that it was the pressure that crushed her. I, I think that it was the state of mind that she was in. And yeah, you know, but like I said, I don't know the details of her story. So I can't speak for her. Um, that's just kind of my outside view looking in um, as best I can. So can I ask you, like, how did you work out of it then? If you've been in, in a state of mind that was so dark, like what things helped you work through it? There's a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I forfeited a, a chance to go to Hawaii to train with the national team the night before we were supposed to leave. I, I called my coach. I said, I'm out. I can't do it. Um, you know, so it was and that's training. That's training. I wasn't able to train, you know, so I had to take time off. So I've done the same thing, you know, but unfortunately for her, it came up during the biggest stage ever. You know, you can't, those things can't be timed. Um, you know, like it just kind of comes out of nowhere and you, you really can't help it, you know, but I've, I've reached out to, to professionals, um, for help, you know, my family, I've made my circle tighter, you know, I've, I've done some research. I've had a lot of conversations. I've had a lot of you know, conversations with myself, um, just kind of retrying, trying to recenter and refocus. And, um, you know, it's a work in progress. I don't think it's something you ever overcome, you know, but for people who are out there that, you know, think you're alone, you're not. I'm telling you, you're not, you know, I've been there before. I know what it feels like. You're not reach out to somebody, reach out to somebody that you trust, reach out to somebody that, um, you know, if you don't have anybody you can trust, go see, go see a counselor, go see somebody who's in the professional services. Um, if you have that ability, you know, it's, it's a real thing, like I've been saying. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very broad answer, but it's different for everybody. No, I appreciate that honesty. And, and I appreciate you sharing that because I think people do put athletes on any level on a pedestal. And they think like, oh, these people are perfect. They have no struggles. Like they have no life outside of their sport. And um, everyone's just a normal human being. It's just a matter of what your skill is, is you know. And, and for athletes, your skill is performing at a very high level in a very specialized thing, um, which most people can't experience. But um, 
did you ever think in that moment like maybe I need to stop playing because I just think that could be such a beautiful thing for you to have worked through some things and now had the payoff of making an Olympic team like I got to imagine the time from when you said I can't train in Hawaii to Tokyo this past week like that's got to be a really beautiful journey um in a way yeah in a way yeah you know um there's definitely been moments of serious doubt it would have been the easy way out for sure um and and I'm not saying that if you do stop what you're doing for your mental health that you're a cop out please don't take that the wrong way that's that's not what I'm saying for me personally it would have been the easy way out um but I was taught never to quit and you know I I just don't think that I had it in me I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I would have quit before knowing you know if I wouldn't have made the Tokyo team and you know be done after this summer that's one thing but I had to know one way or the other. So I I just kind of kept going for that. But I mean, there was definitely times of serious doubt when I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. You know, it's it's just, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot dealing with competing against guys that you're supposed to be friends with, good teammates. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that run through your mind. There are a lot of things that can run through your mind in those moments and, um, easy ways to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go, I'm going to do something else, you know? Um, but I think there's lessons to be learned by moving forward through those things. So that never quit mentality comes from your parents. I'm just guessing. Yeah, for sure. They never, I wanted to quit baseball whenever I was a younger kid and they wouldn't let me I'm like, Nope. How old were you? I'm like nine. You wanted to quit at nine years old, Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> No, but I think I think that's the thing is like just see see it through see see where this can take you and I think for you it's taking you to the Olympics and and like you mentioned maybe twenty twenty four, do you still have that itch like now you want to go back it wasn't a one and done like you're aiming as long as you're healthy and and everything goes well but like is that now the goal is to get back to the Olympics? The fires rekindled for sure. You know, being able to go to the Olympics and experience that emotion and that pressure was addicting you know and it just kind of reminded me why I play the game you know because the game is such a beautiful thing and all the because you know whenever you become a professional in any sport so little of it has to deal with the actual sport itself you're dealing with management you're dealing with agents you're dealing with money you're dealing with you know all these things that aren't at the core of why you started this whole journey but that you've had added along the way and you can get wrapped up and seeing the negative and all those things when somebody screws you over or something and it, it can get exhausting but you know when you have moments like playing in the olympics at that level with that emotion and that you know your whole being into it you're reminded of why you do what you do and i was reminded so um as of right now i plan to continue playing um and and hopefully hopefully we can do something in 2024 i gotta ask you very very few people get to be in that village this year what was the best part of the experience off the court obviously so much of that is focused on your play and your competition but i gotta believe like the experience as a human was pretty awesome yeah i mean you get to be around I mean, you're literally in the most diverse place in the world. You know, it's literally the most diverse place in the world. You hear every language, you see 
every sport, every type of person, big, small, like incredible, like incredible human beings there. Um, you know, just people watching. That was awesome. You know, just wondering, you know, what the, cause everybody's got an incredible story that's there too. You know, there's nobody there that has a boring story. You know, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people and each one of them comes from somewhere and they got there somehow. So I can only imagine. For you, it was coming from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Um, we've talked about the pride you have in that hometown, but to see the way everyone was supporting you, no one could be there with you. No one could take the trip, but to feel that love, like, did you feel supported from Pennsylvania over there in Tokyo? And, and how cool is it now to be home and, and see all these people who've been rooting you on for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, hundred percent. I felt the love. Um, you know, I've, I've been kind of running around town the last two days and a lot of people have, you know, have pointed me out and said, Hey, like, congratulations. Like, you know, we followed, we watched and, you know, to those people, I just want to say thank you, you know, for supporting our team, um, our sport and myself, you know, it's been, it's been cool, you know, bringing people together and allowing them to, to have a medium to have some fun, you know, and to root for, for something, you know, bigger than themselves, you know, I'm playing for something bigger than myself and to bring as many people along as possible, I think is, is the goal, you know, you know, I think the, the highest form of human services. Um, oh no, I lost my quote. <laughs> the is, um, inspiration. That's that uh, jet lag talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's from Nipsey Hussle. So don't, that's not my words, but that's his. Um, and I think it's true. You know, I just think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of love in this place and it, it came through for sure. Okay, well, I do want to ask you about high school, just like growing up in there, we talked about your hometown, but like the journey that you had in high school, the struggles that you had, maybe like deciding if this was a sport for you, like how much do you think your high school volleyball experience shaped the beginning of your career? Um, I think that, you know, just walking onto that team, it was... It was like walking into the world of volleyball. You know, the people in the volleyball community are are really special. They're very nice. They're very kind. They want people to love the sport. So they accept people very openly and willingly. And, um, you know, for me, it was really nice to to have that and to, to have a lot of encouragement early on where I enjoyed the sport. I enjoyed learning how to play it um, and had fun with it. You know, like it was very low stress it was very laid back and that was very different than my basketball experience up until that point in my life and um it was a place where i was able to to grow and to help create something you know we ended up winning a state championship my junior year and um that was years of you know building this program with other guys the guys who brought me in so it was really special from the beginning and um, you know, I think that it, it just, it set me up. It set me up to, to go on a club, to go on to college, to go on to professional and now to the Olympics. Like it, it opened the door and gave me a chance to, to see the sport for what it was. There's some pretty passionate volleyball families in this area. There's a pretty strong area for the sport in general, but there are going to be young boys and young girls who are now looking at you as an example of what it takes to be from Pennsylvania, 
make it to play college volleyball or play professionally or play in the Olympics. What do you hope they learn from your story and from the way you play the game? Um, whatever you choose to do, whatever sport it is, one, do it because you enjoy it. And two, give it everything you have. Um, I think that so many people aren't willing to put themselves out there, to really put themselves out there and to sacrifice things because they're afraid of, you know, those what ifs. Go for it. If you fail, you're going to learn something along the way that's going to help you later in life. That's worst case scenario. You know, best case scenario is, I don't know, you make it somewhere pretty cool. So, um, yeah, that's what I would tell them. I feel like I want to end on this one. You are now internationally known for your beard. There's a hashtag. People were talking about it, you know, all over social media. Can you ever get rid of it now? Or is it like part of your trademark? I can get rid of it. I'm not worried about what other people think. I should have known that was coming. Uh, but it is, it's cool. You know, like I like it right now, but I could shave it. Eh, whatever. I mean, I don't think it doesn't make me who I am. So that's a good point. Yeah. I, I really expect nothing else from your answer. Like I, I almost expected you to show up to this, like shaved head, shaved beard and just like, Hey, what's up? No one knows who I am anymore. Yeah, maybe. Um, anything else you think we need to know about, about the last couple of weeks, anything, any story that, that has to get out there? Nothing has got to get out there. I feel, like, I feel like I should ask a better question then, you know? No, it's all good. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the time. Um, congratulations on on everything, all the success. I know it wasn't how you guys wanted to end, but a uh, pretty incredible experience for your first one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, hopefully the next time, if you make the team and everything's healthy, uh, you'll get fans because I feel like that's going to be such a different experience. Sure. I'm looking forward to the opportunity. Want more of these interviews? We've talked to Cowboys first round draft pick Michael Parsons, NFL Network's Kim Jones, and Hershey Bears head coach Spencer Carberry. You can watch our full episodes on our website, abc27.com, click on sports, and then the Sports Extra podcast, or listen wherever you find podcasts. Thank you so much to Mitch Stahl. I feel like that was a really open conversation uh, from a really incredible athlete. And when I said to him, you are so intentional about things. I think that really shows through in the way he talks about things, the way he thinks about issues. And I was really grateful. Um, it's not easy to talk about mental health. And so um, I did expect him to have some thoughts on the conversation, but I didn't really expect him to go into his personal situation. Um, and I think anytime an athlete is so open about the struggles that they have, like many people have, I think that can be so powerful because these people are seen as so strong and so capable and so powerful, that's the word I'm gonna keep using, but um, I think it's easy to forget that they are normal and that they do have the same struggles that everyone else does. And I think we're seeing that right now, why I asked Mitch with Simone Biles and the way that she's trying to openly talk about this difficult part of her life. We found out um, after she finished her, uh, she did compete um, in one event, um, but after she finished her competition, she said like, my aunt unexpectedly passed away while I was at the Olympics. She talked about not having her family there and how it was so different from other meets that it was hard to wrap her mind around things. And then you couple all of that with 
and then she lost a family member unexpectedly and, and the difficulties that come with grief. Um, we saw it before the Olympics with Shakari Richardson, you know, coping mm -hmm. with the loss of her mother, which she was told by a reporter. Like, that's how she found out. Yeah. So I think we put these athletes on such a pedestal. They are under so much, like Mitch said, it's not just pressure because they – Athletes thrive under pressure in some situations, but it's the scrutiny and the fact that they're allowed to be human. And unfortunately for Simone, and I think she would agree with this, that moment happened on the biggest stage in the Olympics. Um, and I just think it's important that we have this conversation and that we give them the grace to remember that like we all have those bad days, but when you and I are having a bad day, it's not in front of a million people. It's not in front of billions of people across the world. Yeah, and, and the thing that they made pretty evident with Simone's case is, you know, she's doing these crazy acts of physicality in the yes. air, and if you're not 100% there, you are putting yourself at danger physically. And not that that translates directly to playing volleyball, but in the same thing, if you're not in the right headspace, Maybe you're not paying attention. You could roll an ankle, you know, and let alone just your mental state and how you perform after having the, this immense pressure all the time. And it, I, I can't imagine being on a stage like that. And I was a collegiate athlete and, you know, everybody, I think, gets those butterflies in their stomach. But it's a lot different in both of their cases, I think. And when you're held to that standard, you know, like yeah, it's a like, lot to, to keep up a standard that is the best in your sport. And I do in the world. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this isn't you're the best in the U.S. anymore. It's like, how are you stacking up against literally the greatest athletes ever? You, you know, and then how do you stack up against the history books? And, you know, there was so much conversation. We did this with uh, Michael Phelps. We've done this with, you know, Katie Ledecky. We've done this with a lot of athletes where it's like, oh, they're the greatest of all time. And they're still competing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that happened with Simone where it's like, okay, great. She is the greatest of all time in terms of women's gymnastics. But to put that pressure of like, so what is she going to do, you know, and, and then to realize that these people are flying across the world. They've had a really crazy year, year and a half of like thinking they were going to compete in 2020 being delayed. This conversation could be its whole own episode about the pressures that have been on these athletes, but it has been such a tumultuous year and a half for an a non-athlete regular human being we've all had struggles during the pandemic of like feeling burnt out or feeling exhausted or now you're at home with your kids all the time and like there is no separation so you're not getting a break or you know everyone's had a struggle but for most of us thankfully it was done alone with our friends with our family at most you know or done really by yourself um, and you're able to work through that for these people <laughs> the whole world is watching and that's not that's not a um, overstatement, like the whole world is watching you. Especially with the Olympic sports too, because I mean, a lot of these sports aren't your normal 24 seven, you know, sports no. coverage. So especially for when you have only every four years yeah. for the pinnacle of your sport. Now I know there's worlds and there's other competitions, but I think if you ask any amateur athlete, like the Olympics is yeah. the top spot you want to get gold and and to be put on that stage and know that this is your chance and god forbid you have a mess up in a race or yeah. you know like in simone's case not being able to focus it's just put more on display and you know i, I can't imagine the mental stress of of knowing that you might be blowing your one shot too you well, know, it's, that, that's it's that one shot thing, exactly. like especially with gymnastics like okay this was simone's second olympics which is incredible but for some girls that's it like mm -hmm. because the age yeah. range of, of of 
Olympian gymnastics is so small and there's such a window. I mean, there are girls that missed their shot. Uh, Trinity Thomas here, if it had been in 2020, she would have made that team. She rolls an ankle, has an injury, you know, in her collegiate career in between 2020 and 2021. And now she's not competing in the Olympics. And then by the time Paris rolls around 2024, she's, she's past the age where she's really like in the prime of her competition. And so it's like, it's over, you know? And so to be the ones who make the team, to be the ones who get there, there's very few sports where you get that chance again, which is why I think Mitch saying like, I mean, now the goal is Paris 2024, but so much has to happen in three years for him to even have a shot at making that team. He has to stay healthy. He has to stay mentally at the top of his game. He has to make the team. He has to make then the Olympic team. There's so much that goes on. None of us, no one in this room, very few people listening to this will ever have that experience. So I think it's really important to talk about. But then I think you see the positives, right? Simone being so open about her struggles and what she's going through has allowed other people to open up about it. And then I think she didn't have to compete. She would still be the greatest gymnast of all time. But the fact that she came out and did compete in an individual beam and won a bronze, the same medal she won in Rio, no drop off there. Um, even if she just competed, I think that would have been a win. But the fact that she competed enough to still win a medal and she won a team medal, um, even though she didn't, she pulled out of that competition. I think that shows incredible resilience. And I think that's also a great example. How about her teammates too, that had to step up? I mean, I, Those I, I believe that the girl who won the floor was yeah. like getting ready to go home yeah. and they were like, hold up, get <laughs> back here. And she ends up winning gold. I mean, that's amazing. And, and then same Sydney with Lee, Lee as well. Yeah. yeah I mean, Lee, the story that she has, I mean, that's my, mo my mom and I were actually talking about this because, um, we're so grateful that there's been such a conversation about Simone, but I love that when Simone talks about it, she immediately tries to pivot it to her teammates. I think it was, um, and she was supporting them the whole time. Right. You know, and, and I mean, I think that means a lot in it an individual sport that is also considered a team sport, having that support with you, it, it can push you to the next level, I think, especially I, from who we're calling the, the one great, of the all-time yeah, greats. Absolutely. Here. And then I think too, like there was so much of like, oh, they settled for a silver in the team. And I think it was Jordan Childs who was like, we won the silver. Like it's not a gimme. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of beautiful for these girls who are all again, so young. These are really, really yeah. young girls, which I think is easy to forget to have that mental resolve to still go win the silver, even though one of their teammates pulled out during the competition, for then these alternates to go in there and win medals. For Suni Lee, that's incredible. If Simone had competed, let's just, you know, what if it for half a second, and then I promise you we'll move on. She, If she had competed in the individual all around, she was the favorite to win gold. The fact that the U.S. had another gymnast on the roster who could go win individual no. gold is incredible. So for SUNY to be able to focus back in, realize that while her teammate is struggling, she still needs to go out there and represent and compete, that's really incredible. So I think um, as we're kind of transitioning into this, that's the, the whole USA women's gymnastics story, I think was so difficult. And I think a lot of people need to give it a little bit more respect, but to realize what these girls still accomplished that's incredible. One of the best things we've seen the Olymp this Olympics. But this is what I love about the Olympics. Whenever you watch, there are incredible stories every single time you turn on the TV. If you're watching something at 2 a.m., someone on 
you know, the competition floor has something you have to find that's life altering this, these storylines that you just cannot shake. For me, one of the first ones, I think it was the first day of real competition at the Olympics. It was the triathlon, the triathlon. And the guy who actually won was like 27 years old. It was his first Olympics. Um, and he was like supposed to be like 30 seconds off the pace. And he ended up winning. And, and he was, as he was crossing the finish line, I think he was from um, the Netherlands, he kept looking back like in disbelief that he had beat the guy who was like all in all going to be the favorite, was like like absolutely light years beyond the rest of the field. And this guy ended up running the race of his life. He had never run a time that fast. And it's like that's the first day, and I'm amped, and I'm ready to go for the Olympics. Um, I know I want to bring in Tyler first because we haven't, we haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. But um, Tyler – What's one of the best things you've seen this Olympics? And we're only like halfway through. Yeah. So in the uh, track and field event, uh, the women's track and field event, this was still a heat race, but um, the women were running. I want to say it was the 1500 meter. Mm -hmm. um, Safan Hassan from the Netherlands, she got knocked down by somebody else. Like imagine getting all <laughs> the way to the Olympics, like competing in these races and then getting taken out by somebody else. It's like the last lap too, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was like literally the last lap just as they were rounding like the first corner. So imagine how heartbreaking <laughs> that can be to somebody. She gets up and she just keeps running and she won the heat. Like she got knocked down on the last lap of this race. She's entirely gassed at this point. This It was the 1500, so, like, yeah. they've already ran a long race. She got up, and she won the heat. It was just incredible. Get knocked down seven times, get up eight kind of a deal. But, like, to have anything left in the tank at that point, to come from the back of the field to the front, like, you only get these stories in the Olympics. And, and I'm sure you get them at any track meet ever. But we just don't, like you, your point earlier, we just don't see them as yeah. often. So that's super incredible. Um, Shiner, what's one of the best things you've seen? Well, and this kind of piggybacks off that a little bit. Uh, a fall down also happened in the men's 800-meter run Ugh. where uh, I want to get these names straight, but it was uh, Isaiah Jewett from the U.S. knocked over Nigel Amos from Botswana, and Amos was actually the favorite for gold. And in the final, I think, corner, they come around, they tied up feet, and they both knocked down. And, you know, you always see these ultimate gestures of sport sportsmanship. They picked each other up and they crossed the finish line together. Yep. And going back to like, this was their shot. Yeah. And yeah. And they still knew that they needed to compete and finish the race at just because this is the Olympics and just showing the the true camaraderie between all the athletes. And that's what Mitch kind of talked about is like, you will never be in a more diverse place. And yet sports are so simple. Mm -hmm. Like, all those athletes, even though none of them speak the same language when they're out there on the track, they all run the same, you know, like it, it's something you all have a common goal. It's so unifying. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what makes the Olympics so beautiful. We saw it in the high jump where oh. they both crossed that mark and then the two uh, jumpers failed three times at yeah. the next mark and they were going to have like a jump off or whatever. And they said, like, what happens if we just share the gold medal? And they did yeah. like. And if you didn't see the video of them oh. going insane once they realized now the apparently these two guys have been competing each other oh, against yeah. each other for a long time. Oh yeah. But they were so excited to share the gold because they've competed against each yeah. other. It wasn't like, oh no, I need to beat you, which nope. most it, of sports is like that. And yeah. it wasn't only that they've competed together, it's the one guy got a terrible ankle injury last Olympics yeah. and mm -hmm. they weren't sure if he was ever gonna compete again. Yeah. And the other guy, I don't know the names, I'm sorry, but um, they literally became best friends when he got injured, and he helped him get yeah. back to where he is now. So, 
and I just mean, it's just an incredible if story, you see it the, the italian jumps in the arms of the other uh, uh competitor and uh they just they both are breaking into tears running all over the the stadium just embracing the fact that they won gold and and they can share that is pretty amazing it is italy's gianmarco tom Barry. i'm so sorry italy that was horrible. And then it's uh, Qatar's Mutsa Essa Barshim. Yeah. But I think that that's, that's the beautiful part of the Olympics. And I'm glad that there is this thing where they were allowed to share the gold. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's, oh, God, too deep. But, like, this is, this is what the world needs. Is like, we need more moments like this where everyone's just happy for each other. I think one of the other, we're just going to keep going with, like, best things we've seen. But, um, you know, Katie Ledecky, the way she celebrates everyone else, even when she's, like, 30 seconds ahead of some of these girls like I think that that's what we need right now is to show you know even though we're still in the middle of a pandemic who knows where that's going to go in the next six months you know even though we've all been apart the world has been separated there's been so much division in general over the last decade you know um, the fact that we can come together for the Olympics and that there are these common goals and that these athletes whether or not they can actually understand each other are able to share these really beautiful moments I think that's what we need to remember and that's the biggest takeaway um, and then I think it's just it's incredible it's pure strength power to watch these athletes compete I was talking to one of the girls um, who's from central Pennsylvania who was at the Olympic trials for gymnastics. She's 16, hoping to make Paris 2024, but got the chance to compete this year. And I said to her, gymnastics to me is so hard to conceptualize because I can't even do a cartwheel. I can't. And so like watching you flip your body over and over again on the uneven bars and launch yourself into the air and do all these flips and turns. And I can't even tell you how many you did. I can't tell you how difficult that is, but I know how beautiful it is to watch. And like, you know, I think about the swimmers, like you were a swimmer. I know you competed in the, uh, at the collegiate level, but like, it's gotta be incredible for you to watch them at the level that they're at and you know how difficult it would be to yeah. shave some of that time off yeah and, and going back to katie ledecky i mean Whew. she's an absolute beast first of all how do you I mean, swim a mile well <laughs> you do when you're a swimmer but Ugh. not usually for at the same speed. pace for that long and one of my favorite moments was after she won the 1500 um i believe it was michelle tafoya was interviewing her and she's yeah. like you know You've been doing this since you were 15 on the Olympic stage. You know, is this the last time we're going to see Katie Ledecky in the pool? And she was like, uh, no, no. I, I plan on being here for 24 and even 28, you know, God willing and all that. And it just I shows that that, answer. That, that is just the mentality you have to have. And I mean, you got to remember, she has dominated the sport and her time in this Olympics is still almost 10 seconds off of her world record in that event. And she's still crushing the competition. I mean, she's going to be around for a while, but you never know when that career is going to come to an I end. Know. You can't predict injuries. No. Um, some sports, you just, you just lose it. You know, swimming, especially you don't have the Michael Phelps and the Katie Ledecky's that have these historic careers. You usually have your shot where you're in your prime and you hope it lines up in that four year window. And that's the craziest part is like if your prime was about to hit at 2020 and now it's 2021, you might not even be making the finals yeah. in some of these events because I, I noticed the field seemed to be younger and younger, especially in swimming. Like the youth 
swimmers, the 16, 17-year-olds, like Reagan Smith or, or whatever, mm -hmm. like they're getting so good and so fast, so young. But then you wonder, what will she you be like at 27? You plateau eventually. You yeah. plateau and you, you, you just... You wake up and your knees hurt one yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. I can attest to that wholeheartedly oh. myself. <laughs> it happened to me this week. I literally was sitting cross-legged on my floor and I was like, oh my God, ouch. And I was like, this shouldn't happen like this. It was, it was a humbling experience. Yeah. Um, most electric swimmer to watch this Olympics. Caleb Dressel. Oh my goodness, that First man. of all, the guy looks like the Terminator. I mean, he's an amazing yep. physical physique. Um, and he also joined the ranks uh, with, I believe, Mark Spitz, Matt Biondi, Michael Phelps, and himself to, I think, win three individual golds and a total of five golds in one Olympics. Um, so that puts him in rarefied air there. Um, and he doesn't show any slowing down right now. I mean, he was... And he was crushing people in sprints events, and that is usually, you know, the, the size of your fingernail, <laughs> yep. you know, and he was half body lengths ahead of guys in the 50. I, I just, it's an amazing performance against in this Olympics by him. It's so crazy to think, too. Like, he was setting Olympic records. I think he set a world record at one point, too. Like... <laughs> and this was a year where not many world records were broken. No, you know, and no. you can call that whether it was the pool or the the loss of the tech suits and all that, but um, he was one of the few that did do it. And, and he did it multiple times yeah. and, and, and crushed it. And I think that's that's what's incredible is to think like, can anyone be faster than that? Like, I get, we'll find out. You can't out. go zero. That's right. the thing. Eventually right. you can't get you can't get any faster. Any faster, but yet these times keep dropping. It's it's amazing. And and not by like one hundredth of a second. Like we are mm -hmm. talking significant drops, which I think is so incredible. The sprinter aspect of it, like, oh my goodness. The thing I loved is I listened to um his wife. They were doing some coverage afterwards or whatever. Um, and they're 24, 25 years old, newly married. Um, really, really awesome to watch her and, and Caleb's whole family reacting and, and screaming and you know, all that. Yeah. Really awesome to see. But they were asking, it was like the newlyweds game and they were asking a bunch of questions and they were uh, in sync on all of them. And I was thinking for me, I was like, I don't think I know everything about my <laughs> husband like yeah. that, but okay. Um, and she said like, where will the gold medals end up? And she was, she, she answered first and she was like, I don't think he's going to come home with any. He likes to give them away. And we saw the, the, the um, like young swimmer. 10, 15 grand. <laughs> but that's the thing. I know, but and that's then he, an awesome And then he thing. answered yeah. and he was like, I think I'm going to give them away. And it was just like, okay, yeah. like you're so selfless. And we saw it with him um, in one of the relays that he ran and someone else swam the um, preliminaries mm -hmm. for yeah. him. And as soon as he got the medal, he walked over and just hand, he was like, this is for you. And obviously he'll get one later or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. But the moment, as soon as it was given to him and he, he immediately took the spotlight off of him, got off the podium, went to the stands and handed it to the guy who swam the prelims for him because there was a conflict in their schedule or whatever. Yeah. Like that, mm -hmm. to be that selfless is really incredible. And I think it was the first gold he won of the Olympics. And yeah. he was like, yep, nope, here. <laughs> and, and that's something that's almost specific to swimming, where in the relay events, you have mm -hmm. kind of your backup people just getting you that lane. Yeah. And a lot has to do with uh, how many races you have in that day. Yep. And obviously, you want to save fresh legs for your anchor. And Caleb is obviously that guy. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I mean, it, during Phelps's run, they did similar things, yep. too, where, you know, he wasn't known as a freestyle sprinter. But you know what? We're, we're throwing the best swimmer of all time <laughs> on the, the anchor leg of the reader actually the he led off in the four by one but either way uh another thing that i thought was really interesting and and this isn't specific to swimming but having the ability to see uh the competitors after the race which 
being interviewed right after oh, you God. exert as much energy as possible is hard enough, but yep. then they throw you in this like <laughs> Zoom meeting yep. with your family who's in tears, yep. and half the time they're out of breath and can't br- can't, can't talk, and then now they're crying because they're seeing their family <laughs> for the first time. That was something newly s- specific yeah. to this Olympics. That it, it's cool to see that emotion, yeah. especially because fans weren't there, and how everybody had to kind of live this virtually. At, but the emotion never leaves it's always there yeah i think it was interesting i was with the um flickinger family Haley flickinger from spring grove won two bronze medals i think we forget how hard that is to do so even win a medal um but there you know what the u.s has 40 maybe right now you know it's hard it's hard to win medals and she's coming home with two of them um and i was talking to her parents about it after her first medal and she was really preparing for her biggest event um which was the 200 fly and I remember being like, so what's like, what, what's it been like talking to her? And they were like, yep, we got one phone call. It lasted about three minutes. And now she's right back into focus on, on her you next competition. Time, you know? and, and she had a couple days, but apparently she was, the, the pressure was there. So she just radio silence, wasn't on her phone, didn't even really have it on. Um, and, and her family was like, we know that, like, that's how she is about competition. Um, but I think that it, it's so interesting to see the way that our different people celebrate. I mean, poor, poor Dressel. He was on that Zoom meeting with his family like every other day. Yeah. And it's got to be so. And then he had to race in like 30 minutes. <laughs> you know? It's got to be so emotional. Like not only do you have to cool down to get mm-hmm. to your next race, which is a, a physical process that swimmers go through to, to get their body ready for the next one. But then you're also like emotionally reminded, hey, my family's in Orlando alone without me. And I'm here in Japan. Um, and I, I just, that. Um, adversity that's the word I was looking for that adversity that these athletes have gone through for this Olympics in particular something that hopefully we will never have to see again being separated from everyone Mm -hmm. being in that bubble um, often for even training they've been separated for months you know so um, I don't know this Olympics has been a spectacle Um, I think I hope that the the repercussions of having it the pandemic Japan um, that they're able to stay in control for the next few weeks so that there isn't some big um, stain on the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's trying to do the best they can, so I think that that's good to see. I think everyone's cooperating in that sense. All the countries are coming together. So I am grateful that after the last year and a half that we've had that we get this this moment. I think it's, it's really important. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you also saw at the end of, I believe it was the medley relay for the women's, um, Allie Weitzel, uh, ran- did the anchor leg and they, they took silver and at the end she's the only one i believe in her 20s and the rest of the field are all teenagers oh. and she was literally breaking down into tears not only because they got silver but the last thing that was said there all her teammates were saying how good she did how good she did and she's like we're done right and they're like yes we're all done and they all break into tears and hug and they're like just the emotional and physical yeah. stress of the olympics it, it can give you amazing spoils but it also it takes its toll on you mentally and physically as as we kind of hinted today on a, a couple different aspects yeah. and i think the thing is, is it's hard to remember but we need to it is so hard to medal in these events it is so hard to win the vast vast majority of athletes who go will never medal um and so i think that when we get someone like Haley flickinger and we get to celebrate the fact that she won not only one but two um it in our area, I think even just having Mitch go and compete and, and the attention that was on him and, and central Pennsylvania and the watch parties they mm-hmm. had here, 
I think we need to remember how special that is and how some of these people really do fly under the radar and, and people mm -hmm. don't realize what it takes for them to compete at that level and they only see them once every four years. Um, but this, like Mitch said, is not a nine to five. It's I was just going to say the same thing. It's a 24-7, 365, yep. um, and they have to do that. And people don't see that aspect of it. But you they, realize they it's part attention. of it. Yeah. I agree. So we thank Mitch. Um, congratulations to all the athletes so far. The Olympics wrap up uh, this weekend. I'm sure there'll be a lot more storylines. And then we get to talk about the Paralympics, which I do want to touch on because those athletes, the adversity they've overcome is, is almost even different it, level it is more incredible yeah um just the struggles and the way that they still compete at such a high level so um paralympics coming up right after the um tokyo olympics wrap up this weekend this was episode 16 of the sports extra podcast we can drive oh look at us <laughs> <laughs> we're moving and grooving um if you want to connect to the podcast you have to go to our website abc27.com slash podcast there you can find all of our past episodes um we've talked to a bunch of people in the nfl which has been really awesome as training camp continues on and we head towards the season we'll continue to ramp that up if all things go well we have a big surprise for episode 17 if the episode looks the same as it does this week, the surprise did not happen. Okay, we'll get fair to that. <laughs> we will get to that next week. I think it's going to be incredible. Um, we're hoping here in the next couple of months we get to take this podcast on the road. That is the goal. We want to take you where the sports are happening. And right now, although we love our little studio, there aren't a whole lot of sports that are happening here. So let's see if we can get this thing on the road. Thank you so much for listening to the Sports Extra podcast. We'll see you right back here next Thursday. for making it to the end of the episode if you've gotten this far you clearly must like what you've heard so could you subscribe rate the show and leave us a review